0: Well, take your Bibles and turn with me again to 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter uh, 14 this week. 1 Corinthians 14, page 932. I've had the privilege of uh, going to the country of Thailand, I guess, three times through the years, especially when we had missionaries either serving there or connected there. And one thing I've always enjoyed is participating in a worship service in another culture and another language, but you know we're all worshiping the same Christ. It's real, it's real special. Sometimes in those services, I would, I would be singing songs that I recognized because clearly some missionaries had translated some of our songs into Thai. And so I could, I could sing along in English and then... Other times they were singing songs that I didn't recognize at all, the, the tune or anything. So I just assumed they were singing about God and worshiping Christ. And when somebody got up to preach, um, I mean, I, I never learned any of the language except I recognized the name or the word God. So throughout that sermon, you'd hear, for chow, for chow. Okay, so I know they're still talking about God. But sometimes I would be sitting there next to our missionary, Bill Keel, and, you know, we'd be kind of quietly over there sitting down, and he would just kind of quietly interpret what the speaker was saying. And that changed everything, right? I went from like zero understanding to like probably 75, 90 percent of of what was going on because it was translated for me. I bring that up because in First Corinthians 14, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about a language issue that had been a blessing, but it was becoming a problem. You see, some of the believers there had this incredible spiritual gift from God that had been given originally in Acts 2 when the church began on the day of Pentecost. It was a gift of speaking in tongues. That is, they had the ability to be able to praise God, but it came out in a language that they had actually never learned. I mean, this this seems crazy, but it really happened, and it had an Incredible impact when the church began. It opened the door so that people were listening. The Jews from all these different countries were, were listening to Peter, who then preached the gospel in a language they did understand, and many believed. But now it was 20 years later, and I guess especially in the church of Corinth, some of the Christians who still had this gift were using it or misusing or overusing the gift. And Paul writes to say we need to really limit and control that gift of speaking in tongues, and instead we need to prioritize the gift of prophecy, which was to declare God's Word in language that everybody understood. That's how it would have an impact. So um, this, this chapter is a rather lengthy discussion of that need, and we will try to understand it all, though some parts were basically just reading, and uh, trying to grasp really some larger principles that would be definitely true for us, even though our situation isn't quite the same today. Verses 1 through 5 really kind of summarize this issue. He says, follow or pursue the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets or translates so that the church may be edified, blessed, benefited, impacted. He starts by saying, pursue love. And if you were with us the last couple of weeks looking at chapter 13, chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. It's very strategically placed in Paul's letter to the Corinthians because in chapter 12, he was saying, you know, the amazing thing is God has gifted us personally with some spiritual I'll call it a superpower because, in a sense, that's what it is. In other words, you can do some things better than others. Others can do things better than you. And so that's pretty important. That's how how the body is built up. And in chapter 14, he's going to get around to today an issue of where the the spiritual gift thing needs to be controlled or, or corrected. So chapter 12, the gifts are given. It's amazing. Chapter 14, we need to be careful with how we use them or misuse them. And he's, he, he almost interrupts himself, you could say, in chapter 13 to say, but let just, just pause a minute and realize more important than gifts is love. And that's where you have the statement, so, so what good is it if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love? It profits nothing. So, so he's, he's picking up on that and saying, okay, so when we're going to control the use of gifts, he said we need to pursue love. Evidently, some in Corinth were using gifts, but not out of love. There were, there were selfish motives in how they were using, particularly the gift of, of tongues. So we need to understand what tongues uh, were. They were. They were a gift given initially, like 20 years before this, to launch the church. The church was a brand new thing in Acts chapter 2. Jesus had just uh, ascended to heaven, and 10 days later, just as Jesus promised... God gave the Holy Spirit. And something's very different about this age we call the church because now the Holy Spirit, God, the thir- third person, dwells within each one of us. And, and boy, did he come with a splash because Acts 2 was starting the whole new era in which we now live and enjoy those blessings. And so God did on that day, the day of Pentecost, some three amazing miracles. And to just review a little bit, uh, part of the passage from our study last week about when the Spirit was given and the church began, there was three miracles. First of all, it was the wind rushing, then it was flames of fire on each one, and then this, how the, the gift of tongues. And how is it that each of us hears them, the apostles, in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So after the wind, after the flame, it says that the Holy Spirit came and they began speaking in tongues, the apostles that is, and this crowd that had gathered, there were Jews there from all over the Roman Empire, all these different countries, there's a longer list than this, all these different countries, and they amazingly hear the the apostles declaring praises to God, but in a language that they didn't ever learn. And the reason these people who were from these areas recognized it because that's what they spoke back home. That's their city, state, their village. That's what they spoke. It was this this little-known language. But they were hearing the praises of God miraculously that day. So then, praising God, it got the attention of the unbelieving Jews. See, there were tens of thousands of Jews who had come for the Feast of Pentecost. Many came from all these areas all the time for the major feasts. And it got their attention, and then Peter began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't need the gift of tongues to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were Jews. They knew Hebrew, spoke a form called Aramaic. They knew Greek. Everybody knew Greek. That was the trade language. This was a third language. That's what made it so special, As they heard their hometown language, and they heard them Praising God. So that's the miracle of tongues. Actual but unlearned languages. Looking at the last half of verse 1 and then 2. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, instead of what? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Um... Indeed, they were hearing the wonders of God. They were hearing them speak to God. It was, it, was, it was praise going vertical. They were praising God, and boom, it came out in these other languages. And it got the attention. But in contrast, verse 2 says, so tongues speak to God, but rather verse 3, but prophecy speaks to men. It's, it's horizontal. So those words can actually be Understood. I understand and know that uh, there are some who believe that speaking in tongues are still given today. They understand the tongues in verse 2 to be not actual foreign languages, but they understand it to be like a private prayer language, uh, some kind of an ecstatic uh, praise uh, experience or utterance in which um, it is not a discernible human language, but something they use to privately praise God. I understand that. Some uh, some take it that way. Uh, Sincere believers who are friends of mine, pastors who are friends of mine, and maybe some hearing this today. We said repeatedly last week that um, uh, Christians can disagree on some lesser doctrines than Jesus Christ and the gospel and how you get to heaven. And this would be one of those doctrines, but it is something taught here. And we can do our best to understand it. We can't time travel back to Corinth to see exactly what was happen, so, happening. So I think we have to have some humility as we try to understand uh, both the problem and, and what Paul was telling them to do. But as i looked at Acts 2, it was actual languages, and then there are, there are only two other times in the book of Acts, the story of the church in those early days, two other times that tongues happened, both times it was stated in those passages that it was just as the first time. So if Acts 2 is actual languages and Acts 10 and Acts 19 would also be actual languages, so it would be something uh, really new to introduce a different uh, kind of tongues here. What's happening today and what some call tongues, I, won't want to, I don't think it's my place to conjecture or to judge what somebody else is experiencing, but I'm perceiving this passage through the, uh, the, the, the lens of the actual languages that were still being miraculously spoken because the gift was still present Um, a larger point as we read verse three i hope you caught three very important terms he who prophesies what is what's it for speaks to men to do what number one strengthen you may have the word edify or build up strengthen encourage you could have the word exhortation but more on the encouragement side strengthen encourage and comfort those are huge issues in fact probably the biggest issue in this entire passage i think it's like five times you find this term to build up to build up the church in other words we do church coming together to build up the church what does that mean the term building is actually a construction term so it's for somehow making the structure Stronger. We exist and we come together to help each other be stronger. I remember uh, through the years, if my dad and I were driving along some rural area, he would see a, uh, some barns that were old and no longer being used and not being maintained. And so they'd be sagging. And dad had a special sadness to see old barns go. And uh, he'd see them sagging or else we'd see them actually already collapsed and they're all the way down, okay? He says, you know, the only thing they really needed to do was to put a good roof on it. Because if you have the roof on it, then the water doesn't get in to rot out everything else. That's why those barns are going down if they would just put a good roof on it. And you know, as I think of this gift of prophecy, it's like the roof, To communicate the Word of God in a way that it can be understood. Prophecy was, even then, partly the Word of God. If they had the Word of God and proclaiming it, we saw that last week, it could still be present in, in that sense of giving out the Word that we have. But there was new prophecies being given. The New Testament wasn't done yet, wasn't distributed yet, wasn't all inspired yet. So they needed the Word of God. The Word of God strengthens us. I know that's why we're together today. Because the Word of God strengthens us, and it's like each, each of us are like, like a post in the barn or a, or, or, or a beam, and, and together we make each other strong. We need the Word of God to strengthen. Second word there is the term, encourage. Literally, the, the, the Greek term is to, to come alongside, so it's picturing two people together. How's that happening today as we gather? Well, you're sitting by people. We just spent the you know, first portion of this service singing together. Do you know why you sing out loud together? I mean, I assume that you do. I assume that you prioritize what the Bible prioritizes, but the reason we're supposed to actually use our vocal cords and emit sound that is kind of like music, no matter how good or bad you think you are, the reason we do that is not because we like the song. We do it to encourage each other So in Ephesians 5, it talks about singing, making melody in your heart, singing to one another. So we sing to the Lord, yes, but we also are singing to one another. So if you aren't doing that, you are not benefiting the body the way God intended. Sing out loud. It is our worship of God, and it's a priority. To strengthen up so we do it through singing we also sit beside each other in in smaller groups bible studies or adult bible fellowships why do we sit alongside is to support because we become a beam and they're they're the post or whatever it might be and so they're sharing a need it might be a physical need it might be they they've had a surgery as as takes place here and we we try to support and, and provide meals or whatever and or someone needs to is moving and needs help Physically, sometimes it's the, a spiritual need. God, they have a concern and you're praying for them. So we come alongside, we encourage each other. And Paul just has this burden on his heart. He says, you are, you are using this particular gift. Yes, it's a first century issue. But it's getting in the way of the strengthening and encouraging and comforting that could take place when you actually use the Word of God that you can understand. The third word, comfort, is a very important word, too. It's only used this time in in the whole New Testament. But it has to do with somebody has a really heavy burden. It's really about grief. Grief burdens heavy weights. And someone understands and somebody else cares and they come and they put their arm around you and they cry with you sometimes and they pray for you. These are meaningful relational terms. And he says, guys, we can't be distracted by coming to church for our own purposes when we are dependent upon each other. So don't do what edifies yourself, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So are we doing that which edifies the church? That's what church is about. I would rather you prophesy. Verses six to 19 direct the Corinthians to then avoid the confusion that speaking in tongues was causing unless it was immediately interpreted, which I take is translated. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So if I, come, if I speak in tongues, it doesn't contribute. But a revelation, knowledge, word of instruction, yeah, that would. And then he gives an illustration. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So I hope we get that. I mean, I, could, I can make noise on all of these instruments, I'm convinced. I could, I could make noise, and what would it be? It would pretty much be noise. It's pretty much like the two-year-old banging on the piano. Just make it stop, you know. Trumpet calls were used in the military to a certain blast meant advance, Another blast meant retreat. You don't get those mixed up. What kind of confusion would there be? You don't ask the fifth grader who's learning the instrument for the first time to to give the the army signals. So then what? Verse nine, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Needs to have meaning, right? If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. There's that word again. Edify, build up the church. God inspired this to explain something, not because we have an identical situation. We don't. But we have an identical purpose. To build up the church, um, there are so many serving roles. When I think of just you know we gather here for you know this this hour and some time, and and uh, yet to imagine what all goes into the ability to just have a church fellowship meet. I mean, if you look around today, you'll notice there's different people serving, but there's a lot more people serving than the ones that are actually, you know, here early making the coffee or in the nursery or welcoming you or ushering or whatever. There's, there's just so much that is happening where people are using their, 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 their skills and their gifts on computers and conversations and phone calls and postings and preparation and organization and, and then all the different teaching, the planning, the studying, and, and, and all of that has to happen to build this barn. And we have all these pieces of the barn that make this something that actually will, God will speak to us today in some transforming way. Isn't that a miracle to be a part of that? So he says you don't want to interfere with that. Don't, don't go using your gift in some way that is all about you. It makes you feel good to do this. So Paul speaks directly to those who had that gift, but were using it selfish, selfishly. Verse 13, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says for if I pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful so what shall I do I will pray with my spirit but also with my mind I will sing with my spirit but I also sing with my mind if you are praising God with your spirit how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he doesn't know what you are saying you may be giving thanks well enough but the other man is not what edified so he says, it's, a, it's a kind of a puzzling way to put it, my spirit prays, verse 14, but my mind is unfruitful. Uh, the spirit praying would be that the individual tongue speaker, I think he understood what he was, he, he, like, like, like uh, the apostles on that first day when they spoke in tongues, they knew they were praising God, then the miracle was it came out in different languages. They would know what they're saying, but... Only those who know those languages would be able to benefit from it. So it's actually, uh, it's not fruitful to others. So if there's not others to, to understand, what's the point? They can't say amen because they didn't know what's going on. They can't, they, they can't give thanksgiving. It's like me listening to a sermon in, in some other language. Uh, picture me in a, in a service in Thailand, maybe, and Pastor Jalad is preaching away and the Thai language and it would be silly for me to say well amen because who knows he might have just described some awful sin or sad story and I just said praise the lord you know it's totally inappropriate so he says that we can't say amen so in the church verse 18 i thank god that i speak in tongues more than all of you paul actually had the gift of tongues he said that, that's good but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's quite a contrast. Five words versus 10,000. Why? Because you can understand the five words. I realize the specifics are... This is answering questions that uh, you, you maybe aren't asking Most of you didn't stay awake this week wondering about the gift of tongues, probably. So again, let's notice the more important, larger issue. So verse 3 gave us those three words, strength and encourage and comfort. That's church. Verse 16 and 17 says that when people can say amen and thank God for what He's done, that's church. So... Today, when, whenever you leave and go out those doors and into the parking lot and to your car, I hope you can say amen to something you learned about God. I hope you can say, thank you, God. I, because hopefully by being together and as we each use our gifts in the different ways and the things that it took for us to be here today, that you, you would go away saying, I learned something about God today that i really needed. maybe i knew it before maybe it was new but i learned something about him and how much he cares for me or, or or what he's doing in my life and and i today i i walk away more thankful because somebody told me what god was doing in their life or i was in an abf and and they were saying how god answered this prayer and we were concerned about this or or god didn't answer the prayer but he's sustaining me and you go out saying amen and thank you god why because we were communicating in a language that everybody understood. That, Paul says we got to make sure that we're, we're understanding one another to benefit the church. So the question is, are you a part of real church where that's happening? Are you doing church to benefit the church? Are you contributing to that one another ministry? Or do you come for what's on the menu for you? You see the difference verses 20 to 25 uh, Paul says you know we need to be concerned as we do church meet together not only that we're benefiting each other but do we realize that there are unbelievers who come in among us Are, are we spiritually aware of that and and so as we do church to benefit others in the church it's also unbelievers verse 20 Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Uh, Stop being immature, which is to be selfish. Immature and selfish are practically synonymous much of the time, right? Uh, Be adults. And then he gives this unique, to us, Old Testament quote. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so we go, I, Yeah, he must be saying this because it has to do with foreign languages, and it is. That is why. What is, what is the parallel? Men of strange tongues. In, Acts, rather in Isaiah 28, 11 and 12, where this is from, Isaiah is saying is telling about how the Assyrian peoples are coming and going to destroy actually export uh, uh, take away as captives the 10 northern tribes of israel a couple years ago we were studying this the northern tribes of israel were taken captive and deported by the assyrians as a judgment of god because they had heard the word heard the word heard the word and they kept rejecting the prophets and the word of the god of god So they were going to be facing the judgment of hearing a foreign language from their captors as they get taken off to Assyria. And he's saying in the same way, the Jews of Jesus' day, Peter's day, Acts 2, the unbelieving Jews, heard the miraculous miracle of tongue speaking, but they refused to believe in Jesus too on the day of Pentecost. You might say, no, no, I thought they believed. 3,000 people believed that day. Wasn't that amazing? The church went from 120 believers in chapter 1 to 3,120 in chapter 2. So, yes, there was an amazing response. 3,000 believed, but how many did not believe? There were tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost who heard what was going on, who rejected the gospel that Peter preached. And so how was God using tongues for unbelievers? It was really as a as a decision point. I'm doing a miracle that you cannot explain. This is coming from God's own work. Are you going to believe what I'm saying to you or not? Because otherwise you are facing judgment. It was a point of decision for them as well. So in Acts 2, tongues were for believers, for unbelievers rather, which is what verse 22 says. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. That's kind of eye opening. That's what happened in, in Acts 2. The unbelieving Jews that were gathered around there had to decide, well, I believe what Peter is saying or not. Obviously, he has God's authority. The same thing was true when Paul was using the gift of tongues and other miracles outside of a church setting, but he came to the city of Corinth, he came to all these other cities, and he did miracles that got the attention to say, this man is speaking the words of God, because otherwise, otherwise Paul's just a crazy man who's, who says that there's this other man who died in, in Jerusalem, and he rose again from the dead, and if you believe in him, you have eternal life. Says Who? But he came and he established his authority. And that's exactly what our New Testament scriptures say what these gifts were about. Mark 16:20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Acts 14:3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and miracles. Or Hebrews 2, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, right, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Do you see how the message of the gospel was substantiated? That was the purpose of tongues. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. See, Jesus did miracles throughout his ministry. To prove that he was the son of God so that when he said whoever believes in me will live even if he dies that's true he did miracles to establish his authority so people could believe in him and likewise Paul and the other apostles did miracles like tongues and healings for that very reason so they would believe their message that Jesus is really the son of God and you can have eternal life through him they confirmed the message so as the Word of God came more and more to people through prophecy, realize this is 20 years later, the use for tongues was less and less. And as 1 Corinthians 13 says, tongues will die out, this seems to indicate that perhaps it was already happening in Corinth. So emphasize prophecy because then prophecy, second part of verse 22, is for believers, not for unbelievers. Are you conscientious? Are you conscious of the fact that unbelievers are coming into your church setting, and what does tongues do for them? That's not where it's. That's not. That's not really where it's needed. Verse twenty-three. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some do not, some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? It, it, it'll come across as as like, what's going on? They're crazy. So don't do or emphasize that which confuses, but that which transforms. Verse 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, communicating God's word in, 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 the, in the common language, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So tongues in the church edify myself, you want to edify others, but sometimes tongues would have just confused the unbeliever. Do what transforms. Unbelievers still walk into churches today, right? It's a great thing. Invite your friends. This this is not a closed meeting, this is not a secret meeting, this is not a cult meeting, there's not a secret handshake, you just... Bring anybody that will come to hear the Word of God. And as they hear the Word of God, even though we, may, we, we, we primarily speak and teach the Word of God for each other's benefit, in other words, benefiting the church, they get to hear that. And, 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 and there's an impact. And, and, and the, the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. A couple of, they'll understand they're a sinner. She's, they cannot believe in Christ unless they understand the bad news about themselves. If you don't understand sin, you can't understand salvation. And so the work of the Holy Spirit, first of all, is to convict men of of, of sin and then to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can have eternal life by by faith in Christ alone. Secrets of heart laid bare. Sometimes somebody will will say to me, boy, I feel like you just were talking specifically to me. Well, of course I wasn't, but the Holy Spirit was, right? Right? The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to a very specific situation. So he says, make sure you're, you're focusing on prof- prophetically declaring the Word of God, and then God works. And the end result is that he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. I think this is describing somebody who comes to faith in Christ going, I realize that these people are being transformed from God by God. This is really truth that they are declaring in the Word of God. So make sure that you understand and emphasize that. So so this is not a this is not just about us when we gather. It is about us first, but then there's others. And I mean that's why we do worship in the park once a year. I think it's three times now, that we're not we're not just a club in here. This is a message for everyone. And Paul is very socially aware and spiritually aware of of how confusing it could have been so we have to ask the question going back to verse 14 is it fruitful is it it, it going to benefit somebody believers benefit unbelievers benefit verse 26 to the end of the chapter are going to give some instructions then uh, paul gives for bringing their service under control it seemed to have been a bit of a free-for-all Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers, when you come together? Everyone has a hymn or psalm uh, or word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation of tongues when it's done right. All of these must be done for the what? strengthening, building up, edify, that's that, that's that word again, for the strengthening of the church. So he's kind of giving us a glimpse of a typical service. There would be people who would uh, be, be bringing a song. Sing your worship songs. Uh, that literally, this one is psalms. Ephesians says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, three different words describing a variety of music that, that just makes sure you're worshiping God and building each other up. And then there's that word of instruction or teaching. So I'm sure that the, the, those services were a lot more spontaneous. Don't know what size they were. We don't know if there were 20 people in the Church of Corinth or 200 or whatever there was. But um, it will have been a lot more spontaneous, more like an adult Bible fellowship where, where different people can, can say something that they, they, they see in the Scripture and, and make contributions. A revelation. Um, new revelation was still needed because the Bible wasn't, the New Testament wasn't complete, and so God would give, it seems, thoughts and words that he inspired for the moment, not necessarily meaning they were meant to be Scripture, but he inspired them for the moment. And then there were some... So so, so so, do those things, verse 26. Verse 27, then, but if anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret, translate. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So that would be an example of tongues. Verse 29, and... Talks about prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should wake. So that's in a common language. The, the others should weigh carefully what is said, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. This is, this is common courtesy, right? For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Very important passage to describe something about how we function together when when, when we're in a setting where we can all contribute. So somebody gets a... a, They they claim they have a revelation from God in this setting, early church. And so the others need to weigh it carefully or judge. Because then as well as perhaps now someone could just be making something up or something just came to their mind and they out it comes. They may not have meant that in, in any evil way, malicious way, but sometimes we just say what's on our mind and sometimes it could be wrong. Ever been in a Bible study where somebody said something you go, that's off the wall, that's not true. Or that's not, that's not correct, is it? It's okay that they said It's okay if you say some things that come to your mind if you're trying to communicate the Word of God, but you have to realize you have to be open to other comments and even correction. That's actually healthy in, a, in, a, in that right setting. To, to, to say, I think it means this, but somebody else might say, with a, a kind and wisdom and gracious courage to say, I don't think that's what this passage is saying. And so there is accountability. That's what that verse 32 is about. The the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So so even the prophets can be wrong. So we have to see what the body says. And if that all so far, the tongues and prophecy isn't controversial enough, he speaks to the men and women issue (laughs) next. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Next paragraph. No, we're gonna, we'll go back to that. <laughs> Women should, rep- should remain silent in the churches. Christians disagree on how to apply that, but obviously it means something. It seems to be an application of what we studied the first half of 1 Corinthians 11. And I would actually want to refer you to our study, a little more of a complete study of men and women roles in the church. If you want to go back to our August 20 uh, video message archive online, you can do that. But uh, obviously in our day, this sounds a bit odd, but but, uh, the issue, first of all, notice, is about speaking in church, so it's focused on a teaching ministry. Notice that. It, I think it's focused on a teaching ministry. But it wasn't just here. Paul said, in all the churches, and it's exactly what he told Timothy, who was serving at Ephesus, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. So how do we apply that here? Just a couple of, uh, couple of, of uh, quick notes about that. First of all, notice that it does not say anything about women in workplace or government. It's just simply not the issue on the table. Okay, so this, this is not about the whole society. This is about the church. Secondly, the fact that this passage refers to the public teaching ministries, evidently. Um, I think the focus is on ministry in mixed settings of adults. Uh, so so bringing teaching in in this gathering or uh, the teachers we have in the adult bible fellowships mixed adult groups uh, we we have those to be men that does not mean that women cannot contribute to the discussions that doesn't mean they can't share it doesn't mean for us at least that that they can't pray out loud or make certain presentations it just simply means that women should do the teaching in those settings of course women are gifted teachers and they teach in, I'm sure that it's the majority of our children's ministries, and then there's youth ministries, there's women's groups and Bible studies, of course, where they teach. Uh, an extension of this principle here, as well as uh, elder qualifications in Titus and 1 and, uh, and, uh, Timothy, would be that the pastor role and uh, elder roles are, are, are men as well. So, Paul does not back away from tough issues And in fact, the next two verses, he reminds them of his authority to speak to all these difficult issues from the Word of God himself. Verse 36, did the Word of God originate with you? He's very direct. Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you, Paul says, is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Um, Some were claiming to speak for God, but they didn't have God's authority. They did not have the prophetic or apostolic gift of Paul. It says, and your church isn't the only church. Realize that truth doesn't all just happen with you guys. What, What I'm writing is the Lord's command. So Paul was evidently aware that he was writing Scripture. What I am writing to you is the Lord's command. And so if somebody ignores what I am writing, Paul said, don't listen to him." King James says something about is is ignorant, but it's more about being, if he ignores what I've said, he should be ignored. Just ignore the guy. Paul closes with a kind of a bottom line summary uh, to guide the leaders of the Corinthian church, and, and some of this really fits us. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Being a gift at that time, use your gifts, but everyone should, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So don't let the free-for-all go on. Uh, don't show off. Don't be saying inappropriate things. Don't just spout off the first thing on your mind. There should be some some decency some order some organization and so that's what we seek to do if you're, if you're pursuing the way of love verse 1 uh, you should do things orderly verse 40 whatever that setting might be a smaller uh, church the size of a of an abf is not going to have to be as organized as maybe others uh, would be um, the worship team practices if you want to know what these people do at 4 4 p.m. on saturday they're right here preparing Sunday school teachers don't just grab a book and go, They're, they plan, they, they, they prepare, I, I, I study, uh, prepare, practice, what I'm going to say, I keep track of money in the church or what it schedules. It's interesting, Colossians 2.5, Paul complimented the Colossians on their order, but he has to rebuke, it seems, the Corinthians for their disorder. You came to church today, thank you. Why did you come? I think there's three good reasons to come. First one is Godward. We come to worship Him. He is worthy. He doesn't need us, and yet we benefit Him. When we glorify and praise Him, we are benefiting God, number one purpose. Secondly, you do come because uh, of you, unless your parents drag you here or something. You, you come to be encouraged, strengthened, to worship the fellowship before and after services you come for you and that that's that's all legit we we need each other so we come with that need but it's not just for god it's not just for us did you come for others you drove in parked you walked in you maybe wondered will somebody greet me but the question is will you greet somebody you might wonder, you know, will somebody take interest in what's going on in my life? I, you know, I shared a prayer request in, in ABF last week. I wonder if anybody will ask me. And really the question is, are you following up and asking about somebody else and what you know of them? Do, do we have the, the mindset of edification, building up, strengthening one another? That's pursuing the way of love. That's doing church to benefit the church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for designing that we don't just know you personally, but we know so many who know you personally. And so that we are connected and we can be supported in, in physical and spiritual and emotional ways. You know just what we need, and so you placed us in, in, in this specific body with all of our uh, strengths or weaknesses, and each of us individually with our strengths and weaknesses so that we could be strengthened encouraged comforted as 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 you are working but you work through us like you work through others so we thank you for the privilege of of doing church not just to go to something as an event not just for ourselves not just to feed ourselves but to benefit those other precious folks that you have brought to faith and placed in our lives in jesus name amen